Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, a human-centered approach to sustainable design, we are joined by Jeremy Faust, environmental sustainability leader at Fifth Third Bank, Amy Malmstrom, lead architect at BHDP, and Daniel Lessing, client leader at BHDP. Jeremy, Amy, and Daniel have formed a close relationship as champions for all aspects of sustainability, not only at their respective organizations, but in the Cincinnati community as well. In our conversation, we dive into the intersection of traditional sustainability goals like energy and water conservation and the more holistic goals of health and wellness for people in the planet. I am your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. So I'll start with you, Jeremy. Who are you and what do you do? Thank you, Brian. I'm Jeremy Faust. I'm the Environmental Sustainability Leader here at Fifth Third. I'm also co-chair of our Sustainable Finance and Climate Strategy Council. My main focus here at the bank is developing and implementing a set of operational sustainability goals across our enterprise. So it sounds like you're definitely qualified to talk about our topic today. I, I hope so. <laughs> that's, good. that's great. Amy. Yeah, Amy Malmstrom with BHDP, so co-chair of our sustainability and wellness focus for the firm. Really, my passion is in the wellness category. And welcome. And then Daniel. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Daniel Lessing with BHDP as well. During the day, I'm a client leader, so leading clients across our international portfolio. But with Amy, co-chair our sustainability and health and wellness focus. She's the health and wellness focus more of it, while I'm more of the sustainability kind of nuts and bolts, energy and water from my engineering background. But together, we try to make a difference with type of projects BHP works on. That's very good. I'm glad to have that. So thank you all for coming, Jeremy, Amy, Daniel. Why is sustainability important to Fifth Third a Banking Company? Yeah, so our vision at Fifth Third is to be the one bank people most value and trust. And I think for a growing segment of the population, trust involves having a bold and aggressive approach on sustainability issues. These are major issues for a growing segment of the population, and they want to make sure that Fifth Third, as a business that they're working with or a business within their community, is active and engaged on a variety of these issues. We're also seeing different groups of our stakeholders increasingly asking about these questions. So we know we have a lot of employees that care about sustainability issues. It's becoming a, a more vocal group as they're asking more questions around what we're doing, how we're accounting for climate issues or other major issues of the day. The other point that I think is worth touching on here is, like any public company, we're responding to our shareholders. And sustainability is one of the premier elements that's getting asked about, that's getting reported on. And we recognize we need to meet those needs. This is no longer a small group of diehard environmentalists driving these issues. These are the largest shareholder groups in the world that are asking about sustainability issues and have really a new set of expectations around what they want companies like ours to do. As a result, we continue to build out the work that we do across various sustainability elements as a way to meet those needs and encounter some of the challenges that we see in communities in which we're doing business. 
you know, I'm a numbers guy. So, you know, Fifth Third, like a lot of corporations, have a sustainability report, which has a lot of great stats in it. 85% of S&P 500 companies have a corporate report on sustainability or social responsibility. The companies that don't anymore, they're in the very small minority. It's always good as a company to put out there publicly, this is what we believe in. You know, a recent survey that I was reading is 80% of millennials evaluate a company's stances on social issues and sustainability issues as a decision maker on whether or not to work at that company. So as we're talking about attracting and retaining the best talent, if you're not a forward-thinking, progressive, innovative company that is putting you know, a foot forward on sustainability issues, you may not get that talent in the door. The amount of transparency in this space has increased dramatically. We're reporting through so many different frameworks today that we weren't just a few years ago. All these kind of surveys, they get analyzed by different rating groups that are trying to evaluate our performance from a sustainability standpoint. Most of this information is publicly shared. So whether it's a customer, whether or not it's a shareholder, whether or not it's an employee, like you're saying, or a prospective employee, they know exactly how we're doing, how we're ranking, and increasingly are using that information. It's an attractor for new talent, but also an appealing item for shareholders, right? So the money and the workforce are kind of driving it. I think that's absolutely the case. The various groups that are looking at organizations and making these decisions just have an entirely new set of expectations that almost couldn't be envisioned five years ago. And I, and I say that because there was a trend there, there was definitely things happening, but it's just accelerating so quickly to the level that everybody's really got a seat at the table or multiple seats at the table that are listening and trying to figure out how to respond. I think on that note, if you look at some of the companies that are championing sustainability and health and wellness as kind of a, a core attribute of, of the company, those are the companies with the best stock increases. So you always talk about you need to focus on people, you need to focus on planet, you need to focus on profit. It's kind of a three-legged stool. you got to have all three legs for it to work. And time and time again, there's you know proof in the pudding that sustainable companies are a profitable company. I was just introduced yesterday to this concept of the what is the donut economy graphic. All of those earth values are the ring of the threshold, and it's like you see the carbon footprint extending beyond the threshold, and then the people are still contained within. Jeremy, what has Fifth Third Sustainability Journey looked like to this point? Like, where did you start? How did you get to where you are now? And what does the future look like? Our first big step, I think, came in 2017. We adopted our first set of public sustainability goals to target for achievement for 2022. We had five goals to reduce our energy use, our water usage, our greenhouse gas emissions, as well as generating renewable power. So we've spent much of the time over the last five years working to execute on those goals, trying to achieve those goals. And then as we were able to achieve them, building upon that to kind of continue the work that we're doing. The boldest of those was probably our 100% renewable power goal. At the time was still very novel for our industry. And we saw an opportunity to kind of distinguish ourselves and go after something that was a little bit big and audacious. And over the course of a few years, worked ourselves to the point where we were in a position to execute a large off-site power purchase agreement project. It's an 80 megawatt solar project that's now up and running down in North Carolina. 
And that project was really designed and framed around the total electric needs of our organization. So all 1,100 plus operating full banking centers, as well as our other electric demands that we have as an organization, and was able to move us to 100% renewable power. So that was a, a big achievement for us and really got people excited within the organization to begin talking about these issues. Sometimes it takes a bold goal and the kind of work that you go through as an organization to figure out how to get there, to bring people together at the table. I don't think we had the table before that, <laughs> but working through that effort collaboratively with so many different groups across the bank, it also put us in a great position in 2020, once the project was online, to think about what's that next bold step. For 2020, we moved our operational greenhouse gas emissions to carbon neutrality by, again, reducing the amount of greenhouse gas emissions we had as an organization, moving to renewable power, and ultimately purchasing some carbon offsets for our remaining emissions. And then really earlier this year, we're able to announce kind of our latest achievement, which is setting our first ever sustainable finance goal, which is an $8 billion sustainable financing goal that we hope to achieve in the coming years. Each of these achievements kind of builds off each other, but they really set the course for our journey and they continue to get everyone talking about what else can we do? What's next? What do we want to move on to from here? It's one thing to commit to a goal, but it's another to find the support to execute, right? So it sounds like you've done that really well. And just so I understand, when you say you have a sustainable finance goal, is that investing in sustainability? Yeah, so for us, it's primarily lending and particularly in the renewable space, right? Okay. We had already started to do a growing amount of lending to renewable energy projects, to solar projects. This kind of commits us to keep that work moving going forward and to have a sizable impact from what we do. And indeed, across the industry, you're starting to see more aggressive commitments along just those lines, recognizing, you know, it's not just our core operational emissions we need to be thinking about. It's all aspects of what we do across all those different scope three emissions categories. Lots of opportunities there for us and for others. Perfect. Thank you for that. Those are all ambitious and fantastic, and congratulations, by the way. That's exciting. And normally, sustainability does have that correlation between, you know, like energy conservation, carbon footprint, but we're here to talk about the wellness aspect of it. So how do health and wellness become a part of sustainability? What's the correlation there? I think a lot of this starts with just the core health and wellness programs that a lot of companies have. We've also built up over the years other programs largely driven by our HR team that are focused on how do you kind of go to that next step? How do you motivate people to be more active? But there was an opportunity that we saw, and I think going back, why did Daniel and Amy and I come together to start having some of these conversations? We recognized there was an opportunity to continue building that work as part of how we design our spaces. As there was research out there showing how various elements of space design can actually have a positive impact on how our occupants of our spaces are feeling, how they're performing, we wanted to lean into those things a little bit better. As you start to explore these tools and look at the opportunities, we recognized there were some investments that we needed to be making. That started to bridge, I think, the conversation between our traditional health and wellness space into this new opportunity for engaging health and wellness and design. And again, we were fortunate to be working with BHDP because there's a wealth of knowledge and experience there that we can build off of in trying to create these new spaces. 
I think I got my lead accreditation back in 2008, so it feels like another lifetime ago. And I remember indoor air quality was a really small section. What's changed since then in how wellness is attached to sustainability? So at BHEP, obviously, our whole goal is to design for people and make sure that the experiences that people are having within the spaces that we're designing are the best they can be. Certainly, we can design beautiful space. We do that every day. But really, my passion around wellness is how can we make that space be a benefit for them? Right now, the main question is how do we draw people back to space? We've been in a weird place for a long time. People are asking questions they've never asked before. Sitting in a meeting just yesterday, an employee at a company asked me what filtration we were planning on putting in their space. You know, how cleanable is my dust surface going to be? Just crazy things that we've never had to think about an employee coming to us and asking for. They're just more educated. At BHB, between Daniel and myself, really focusing on health and wellness is, for me, looking at three areas. Occupant comfort, how do we make sure that they're comfortable in the space, whether that's air quality or temperature or lighting. You know, we're sitting in space all day long. How can we make sure that space is comfortable visibly? But then also coming out of the pandemic, mental health is a big challenge. Statistics out there of 30% of adults in their lifetime will have some sort of mental illness. Again, we're trying to make sure that the spaces that we're building and designing with our partners are going to be the best experience for those folks that are within that space. 30% even seems like a generous estimate. I think even if you're talking small, everybody struggles in some way to some capacity. I'd mm-hmm. be curious to know where that came from. What does it mean for you, Daniel? For me personally, if we go back to like the three-legged stool I mentioned before, right, it's the people, the planet, and profit. And for sustainability to work and health and wellness to work, you got to hit all three. In my opinion, and I don't think it's unique, however, what we need to focus on is if we care about the planet, then we should care about the people that are walking on it. Maybe a more traditional energy manager is focusing on energy, water, energy, water, energy, water. And there's actually been times where, from an IAQ standpoint, there's energy decisions made that negatively impact the IAQ. Well, we don't need that much outside air. Crank it down, crank it down, crank it down. And then on the flip side, people are tired and folks aren't working up to the highest level of productivity. And it's because, you know, they're sitting in stagnant space with stagnant air and low oxygen levels. Yeah. All right, if we go back all the way, you know, 100 years ago, sick building syndrome was because architects figured out how to make the envelope super tight, but didn't realize that there was now no oxygen in the space. Uh-huh. Taking a much bigger picture and focusing on the people in the space and focusing on the planet at the same time, our energy and water is always going to be important fifth-thirds goals of carbon neutrality and the large renewables, right? That's hitting in the energy goals. But we're remiss if we don't take a look at a bigger picture and understand that there's people on the planet. we got to make sure the people on the planet are just as healthy as the planet we're trying to save. That's a very Richard Branson approach where he's said the customer's always right. And he's like, no, that's wrong. Take care of employees. They take care of the customer. So maybe take care of people. They'll take care of the planet. A similar approach. See, I just compared you to Richard Branson. Thank you so much, Brian. <laughs> We're going to turn a little bit. Can somebody tell me what is Green Umbrella? Yeah, so Green Umbrella is a nonprofit organization here in Cincinnati. They're really the region's umbrella organization for sustainability. They call themselves the Regional Sustainability Alliance. And 
that organization as members across the region, businesses, nonprofits, governments that come together to collaborate around various sustainability issues. And they really lean into the idea of collective impact. Very good. And how are you all involved in Green yes. Umbrella? So. so Green Umbrella being that umbrella organization supporting the overall efforts across the entire community, one of the segments of that is the Cincinnati 2030 district, which has four pillars focusing on a 50% reduction in energy by 2030, as well as water, as well as transportation emissions, as well as focusing on healthy buildings. With those being those four main categories of the Cincinnati 2030 district, that's tied into you know a national organization that's focusing on that across a multitude of different cities. With my passion for energy and the engineering side of things, I lead our energy impact team. And then with Amy's passion for health, she sits on the health team as well. And then Jeremy is tied in with everything Green Umbrella and 2030 District. Being one of the founding <laughs> members of the organization, Fifth Third's done a great job not only providing resources, but providing money where their mouth is, so to speak, on supporting the overall environmental efforts across the entire greater Cincinnati region. And the unique thing or the, the most innovative thing about what we've done here in Cincinnati is we've created this fourth pillar around building health. We're the first 2030 district with a building health focus. Really, as we think about what a high-performing building is of the future, it absolutely is taking that human-centered approach. It absolutely is trying to figure out how to design a space that's gonna make people healthier, how to make them perform better, how to make them feel better. Yeah, so to build on the health pillar, we've developed a guideline, essentially, that people in Cincinnati can utilize in their own spaces, sort of like a mini checklist kind of capturing from IWBI's well certification, taking a look at what Cincinnati really is struggling with and the local area is struggling with in terms of health. We've crafted seven categories within the guideline for folks locally to take a look at. We've talked about a lot of those, air and water, mind, light, you know, other things including nourishment. How do you bring the right types of healthy food into the workplace? What types of materials are we bringing in and selecting as designers? And then lastly, really looking at how do we get people active within the space? You know, traditionally fitness centers and things like that, obviously, but also just promoting movement through workstation design, giving people choice in the way that they can work throughout the day. Don't come in and sit all day. We want you to move around. It's okay, which takes a bit of a shift with leaders too. You know, that idea of if you're not sitting in, at your desk, you're not working. Yeah. That's no longer a thing, right? We want people up and moving around. We know that's when creativity and innovation happens. You said you have the seven standards. Is that something that's accessible to anyone? Yeah, so there was a soft release at the beginning of 2021, and there's going to be a more formal release coming up this fall. Uh, the 2030 district does a really good job of having material available. There's a treasure trove of information out there regarding energy and water and transportation across their library and the health pillars being built up to fall in line with those other pillars and things regarding Energy Star or Portfolio Manager or what other districts potentially are doing that are projects that help you drive to your own sustainability and health and wellness goals. And you say that started, Cincinnati was the first one to have that health pillar? We're the first one. Yeah, the hope yeah. was if we could build out and kind of innovate in this space, then there was an opportunity for other 2030 districts to take this on as a pillar. 
You know, that's interesting. I remember because you talked about helping people be more productive by focusing on wellness, because I remember years ago we had an exercise. What's your motivation? Are you intrinsic or extrinsically motivated? But this seems like, hey, what if people are just healthy? That, that's an interesting way to look at it. Is there ever a friction, though, because we love design? Where's the friction come between design and sustainability? I think some of it inherently you're always going to have a conversation regarding first cost. And folks preoccupy themselves on that. You know, some of the conversations that happen early on is, you know, what can we afford? I came from Toyota. I spent 17 years there, you know, working on sustainability projects. And I felt that I could always make a business case for sustainability being cost effective. And what we've tried to do is not just focused on energy reduction is X, first cost is Y, how many years payback do I get? The equation's much larger than that and much more robust because you need to start having conversations about people. You know, people are much more expensive yeah. than your utility bill. And if you have an unproductive staff that isn't coming to work because they're sick, then that is going to have a much bigger drain on your wallet than did the new project cost $1 million or $1.1 million. And when we start having conversations regarding indoor air quality and 85% of people feel more productive when they're in a space that has a little bit more oxygen in it or that, you know, occupant comfort and folks are showing up to work 50% more of the time if they feel comfortable in the space they're in, then if you're able to actually quantify those things, which you can, Mm -hmm. then the payback is much, much shorter. So this health and wellness focus is getting beyond just what's the energy cost, what's the water cost, is really opening ourselves up to make a much better business case for the reason that we need to do some of these sustainability projects. And just from the soft side of it, right, we're making people healthier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you want your people to be healthier? And, and that should really be a focus across a lot of our projects. But a lot of times folks get locked in on, I got this much to do this project and one of the easy things to cut out are some of the sustainability goals but when we're able to have a broader conversation start it very early on then we're seeing the payback is there yeah i know early in my lead exploration there was a project that i did that was probably it would have been lead platinum at minimum because it was just so energy efficient but the certification would have been more than the design cost because it was a toilet room for a, like an Amish Mennonite settlement in the Butler Metro Park District. It's completely off the grid to honor the nature of what it was before, but it was just too expensive to certify, but it was one of those things that they committed to because it was the right thing to do, and they never got the certification for it. So it's weird because it's like, yes, it's there, but it doesn't have the recognition. Yeah, know. and I think that is a growing trend. When USGBC started, Their goal wasn't to get a bunch of buildings certified. Their goal was to change the construction industry. Mm -hmm. And they've done that. I mean, if we look at, you know, areas of California, you cannot build a new building that's not net zero. You know, five years ago, folks' head would have exploded if you would have said that, honestly. What's happening with us is, you know, corporations are saying, hey, we want to do what's right. We have a CSR that says we're going to achieve X, Y, and Z but we don't want a certification, what should we do? And that's really when we started internally talking about we need a consistent message. So when we start you know, hammering home our six focus areas of indoor air quality, energy, water, occupant comfort, you know, access to nature, active design principles, that's in response to folks just say, hey, what should we do? 
And then our commitment, right, is to design for people. So we've had this people-centric design approach focusing on health and wellness and, of course, trying to achieve high sustainability goals. Yeah, that's great, Daniel. I'm curious, too, though. Jeremy, what have you done at Fifth Third regarding health and wellness as it regards to sustainability? As you guys came into the space today, you got to see some of these principles in action. And one of the ones that I think is most evident, in some ways it's the simplest, but has the biggest kind of immediate impact on our spaces is just incorporating more natural lighting. You know, transitioning in that way has a very visible difference to everyone. And it starts to create an amenity for all of our employees in our new spaces that many of them did not have. If you had walked into our old design spaces that were designed back in the 80s, you know, it had all the exterior offices. And if you were in the middle of the office, you didn't see daylight until you walked out of the building at night. Uh, Our design director has been wonderful in championing the idea of the right to light, making sure that employees have this as part of their daily experience because we know it has a positive health effect on them. From a circadian standpoint, from a mood standpoint, it just makes you feel better about being in the office and it it makes the office look better too. You know, another big one that we've thought a lot about and that integrates well with kind of how our new spaces are laid out is just creating more of an active environment for people to interact with. It's interesting having spent the greater part of the last year plus at home during the pandemic because it brings to terms like how do we work when we're in our own spaces? And I didn't work in one place throughout the day. I didn't go sit at my desk and spend the entire day there. And I don't want to do that when I come into the office. I want to have a space I can work that's got my monitor and other things that I need, but I want to be able to move around. So we've really tried to craft an environment that gives people access to a lot of different spaces and really today, if you walk out into our space, I don't have an assigned desk. So there's not one space that I'm even programmed to be on a daily basis. But I think that's much more conducive to the way we work. It's also healthier for our bodies. From an ergonomic standpoint, you don't want to be working sitting in one position all day. You want to be standing up. You want to be moving around. You want to be at different chairs and desks. And we're now able to do that with the variety of different space types that we've created into our spaces. And then finally, the last thing I'd mention is kind of the building materials themselves, which incorporate not only health aspects in thinking about off-gassing and other elements of those materials, trying to avoid toxic materials in our spaces that could be harmful to employees or other occupants, but really thinking about the life cycle of those materials. How were they manufactured? What's the embodied carbon of the materials? What's the potential to recycle or reuse materials after they're done? Again, it takes time to work through these things. It's not something that we've done all at once and have a final solution. But each time we design a new space, we have an opportunity to kind of improve what that design specification looked like and kind of build upon the work that we've done. And and we've tried to do that. Yeah. Were there any like specific lessons learned, you know, won't do that again or try this a little differently? Well, it's funny. One of the first conversations we had with Jeremy was regarding recycling and trash disposal. Amy was presenting at Greenbuild on that exact topic. And that's kind of the first conversation we had with Jeremy. It's like, she's on stage talking about it. And we need to make sure the project we're designing is 
doing what Amy's talking about. And that was a gap that he noticed initially. The first couple of phases of the renovation we've done here is that it wasn't getting the impact that they thought, right? Folks weren't using the right trash can. Why were they not using the right trash can? You know, folks, you know, weren't walking to the right spot to put up the trash in the right spot. So, you know, there's a conversation about, you know, how can we more intentionally lay out that? How can we properly brand it? Have we a proper signage on this? Our thought is if folks have, you know, three or four seconds to make that decision about where do I dispose of this, if we can make it super intentional and make sure they understand, they're going to make the right decision. There's just, we got five seconds to tell them where to go. That was one of the very first conversations we had with Jeremy. It was like, you know, we got more, more phases coming. We need to make sure we're hitting the mark on our, our recycling goals. This is also a great example. You know, you asked before, Brian, about the friction that can exist between sustainability and wellness. This is one of the areas I think there's great alignment. So a couple years ago, we transitioned to a centralized waste model, as Daniel references, where employees are asked to take their trash and recyclables at the end of the day and deposit them into our centralized waste stations. And we transitioned to this model primarily because we know that if people are a little bit more mindful and a little bit more conscious of what they're doing, they're more likely to recycle the items that can be recycled, right? Those diversion rates go up. But we've simultaneously in this built in naturally a more active experience, right? Instead of having someone collect all this material at night, the employee is now responsible for it. So what they end up doing is not just using the kind of small waste cans that we have by their desk, but when they create a piece of waste after lunch or something, they naturally walk over to the recycling station and put the material in the stream that it's supposed to be in. You know, it's a behavioral shift. It yeah. is. It's a behavioral shift, but it gets people up and moving and it simultaneously increases our recycling rate. So it's a it's a win win there from an alignment standpoint. Yeah. I, another thing that we're seeing is the project team looks really different. You're seeing a lot of new players. So it's not just architect, designer, graphic designer, engineer and construction team. We're seeing a lot of HR involvement. We're seeing sustainability teams more and more engaged. And then also a lot of change. I mean, Brian, you do a lot of change work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to change people's behaviors is not an overnight effort, as we all know. It takes a lot of education and kind of bringing people along, telling them the story of why we're making the decisions with the design. And then what action are we looking for them to do? And how can we help them feel comfortable doing that? And it takes a while. But, you know, we're seeing positive change. You know, something as little as, oh, I have to walk and recycle five years ago was like you were asking them to cut off a leg nowadays yeah now it's common and people aren't fighting it as hard so we all know these ideas and concepts that we're instilling in design take a little bit of time to getting used to we don't always win you know we learn from things we've tried a a several different types of green walls i know at fifth third alone (laughs) and i've learned people like to touch things that they don't necessarily need to right But it's a learning and they understand why we're doing it and what the importance is and they love the space. And again, drawing people to space and back to space is critical right now. Yeah, I wonder too, uh, if the emphasis on that uh, indoor air quality or people asking questions they've never asked before as a result of the pandemic, it sounds like you've got a running start on some of these issues already, Jeremy, at Fifth Third. It's like we've had the foundation to know what to do, but we needed the catalyst to push people to want to do it. They can't get away from it right now, right? Yeah. It's in the news every day. They're educated more now than they ever have been. You know, it was interesting when we started talking about our return to workplace for our company. My first thought was, I can't open any of the windows there. And I just bought myself this sit stand desk. Like, can I bring my desk? Because I don't have that. 
at the office. And it's that control of your environment that I had. Now I'm, there's a, a sense of loss coming back in there too. But So fifth third has a strong connection to the community. I know that's a very important. We've spoken to Valerie Garrett on this show before, and she's very much about the local community. How can sustainable practices have a positive impact on the community? Yeah, I think as we've talked about a little bit already today, so much of this is shifting culture and shifting perspective, right? If you really want these things to succeed, you don't just want to do them in one place, you want to do them broader. So we experiment, you know, maybe in one office space and expand across our portfolio. And I think that's part of what we hope and what we see in the communities in which we work. We want to be leaders with the sustainability work that we're doing. So we try to show that in the actions that we take in hopes that some of those actions and some of those solutions will catch on with other organizations, with members of our communities, with all the stakeholders that we're dealing with. And indeed, we're learning simultaneously from others. There's design principles we're learning from BHDP, just like we're learning from our peers in the banking community and across all those other leaders in sustainability that are trying to ultimately address the same common issues, be they environmental, be they wellness oriented. We're all trying to do very similar things. And when we figure something out and it works, that's when we want to share it. So I think that's what we're trying to do. You know, that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm having this conversation. So others can kind of learn as they're listening in. Ideally, there's feedback, just like when you finish with a presentation at a conference, people come up to you and they say, oh, have you thought about this? Have you done this? That exchange is always really worthwhile. And I always welcome it. I'd also add, we want people to take it home. You're in an office space, your workspace, eight, nine plus hours a day, right? And if we're asking you to think about nutrition and what you're putting in your body at work, where, you know, we educate people on sugar content and we take away soda machines, whatever it is, you go home and those behaviors probably don't stop. You're talking about that with your kids. You're making healthier meals. You're recycling more. It takes that home and then that next generation is learning right alongside them. And I think that's why any new hire today coming out of school, they're asking about it in job interviews. It's part of the conversation. And they're not just asking about it because they're kind of interested. They're expecting it. Yeah. And they want to know what your answer is. What I really appreciate about Fifth Third is you know, they're a Cincinnati company that cares about the community that they're in. So whether it's the 2030 districts or Crown Trails, you know, they're, they're plugging in providing resources, both from a monetary standpoint as well as, you know, people resources to help push some of these local initiatives across the community. And I really like the fact that a conversation regarding sustainability and health and wellness is not a East Coast or West Coast conversation anymore, right? It's happening here in the Midwest and cities like, you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland and Pittsburgh. We're putting our foot down and saying, we need to do what's right. And companies like Fifth Third is kind of leading the way. It really provides that momentum for the rest of the community. Yeah, that's great, Daniel. Jeremy, Amy, Daniel, thank you all. This has been informative for me and exciting. It's good to have a little hometown pride, right? That's great. So thank you all and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, A Human-Centered Approach to Sustainable Design with Jeremy Faust, Environmental Sustainability Leader at Fifth Third Bank, Amy Malmstrom, Lead Architect at BHDP, and Daniel Lessing, Client Leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design. <laughs>